Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with my man, Aaron Gaynor. What's up, Aaron? What's up, my man? How you doing today? Good, man. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I've heard your name throughout, come out of a lot of people's mouth, and I really know a ton about you, to be honest with you, and I did cheat a little bit, and I listened to your interview with Brian Burton, who is a good friend of mine, and <clears throat> really enjoyed it. And so some of this may be a little bit repetitive because I really want to know, I really want to know, well, first, why don't you introduce yourself really quick and then we'll get into it. Yeah, for uh, some of your listeners that haven't heard or don't know much about me, I'm I'm a plumber by trade. I started in the trade in 1997, straight out of high school. When I say that, I was loading semi-trucks at night and then found a job, first shift job. A buddy of mine called me up and said, hey, this guy I know, his brother-in-law at the time, said, hey, I want some young guys in the trades. There's construction, his first shift job, and it was like seven, $7.50 an hour, and I was loading semi-trucks at Valley City, second shift throughout my senior year of high school, and then there, and then took the job and never left. Got into the trades, learned the trade. It came quick to me. I felt like I got it quick. I learned it quick. Love the construction, love being outside working, love that aspect of it. Got my plumbing license, master plumbing license around the age of 23 years old. And then like most people that think they know how to do the job really well, the E-Myth story, which many people may be aware of, is I started a, a construction plumbing business because we felt like we could do the business better than our boss, right? Like that's how it works. And I grew that business to around three and a half million dollars. 06, 07, lost that business to a bankruptcy. Um, obviously, we all know about the market and what happened, but at the same time, didn't really know how to run a business, just thought construction would go on forever and wasn't really a business mind person. At that time, just new operational, like operational kind of start how to put it in, what to do, right? And didn't really own a business, really just had a tax ID and was good as the builders that we worked for. So lost that business, went bankrupt. Lost my lost people's jobs, lost my house, lost my car. I went on down into check systems at this point. Like it was owed money to uh, taxes and stuff, right? Just as you go through that, if anybody has, it's not a fun place to be. Ended up back at my mom's house, 28 years old, sleeping on the couch, single dad, three-year-old, and decided, told him one night laying there, hey, man, uh, this ain't going to be our lives. Like, I, I promise you this ain't going to be the life. And just looking up at him, a three-year-old in his uh, Spider-Man pajamas and just thinking, like, I got to do something and got to work. And uh, here we are coming up on 17 years later, 
borrowed fifty dollars, opened up a bank account, uh, got my sister to help me out. Braun, one of my friends I've known from high school, worked with me and got involved and has been here growing that and many other people that we might talk about today a little bit, supporting that. I got to work from fifty dollars, open up the bank account to sixty million. So, so that's, that's, that's not most people. Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. I just. No, I said that's the. No, I think we had a little delay there. I said that's the quick of the story, just to give you a little background. So, this is not most people's story, right? Most people get to the place that you got to with your son, the night with your son, and it's really hard to overcome. <clears throat> the amount of shit you had to wade through in order to get just hell and just in the positive, right? Just to, I mean, I, I can only imagine, and look, I've lost businesses. I burnt one straight to the ground and I, but I didn't lose a bunch of people's jobs. I didn't have that pressure on me. It was really, I was more thinking about me than I was anything else. And I was just being honest with you, but the amount of pressure that must have been on you. Like, what do you think the shift was from just constant getting kicked in the nuts? It's what it sounds like. And, and and maybe it wasn't, I don't mean that you were a victim. I just mean made some made some bad choices. Obviously made some bad choices if you went to bankruptcy, right? You don't usually get yeah. there by making good choices. For sure. And look, we've all made bad choices. But what do you think the shift was? from feeling like you just had been beat down to you had to have felt beat down. Yeah. I think everybody, I think if anybody comes on and ever says, Oh, I never felt like giving up or I never felt like beat up or lost. Like I, I would say the odds of that are probably pretty low. I don't want to say nobody, but everybody goes through some point in that in their life, I think. And then you just use that as a moment to reflect and say, hey, I'm, I, and I use it for, I use when those thoughts come to me and did stuff as energy to fight against them, right? So, yeah, of course. I mean, went through a lot of times where it's just like, ah, man, what am I going to do here? What am I do? I was sitting there feeling that. But in my heart, for some reason, like I could have got another job. I'm a, I was a good plumber. I understood plumbing. I mean, people would have gave me a job doing plumbing for sure. But just something inside me was like, I want to do more. I don't want to just do that. And there is nothing wrong with doing that. It just wasn't my view of myself, right? My vision of myself in my head. Like I just I felt like I wanted to be this person doing X and I needed to figure it out. And then also just getting a purpose. My, I think my son, seeing my son and knowing that I grew up in pretty much low income area, right? Didn't have a lot. I mentioned on one of the podcasts, like Christmas, not very un, much under the tree, right? Not much happening, going to the grocery store with a food stamp to buy, get groceries. Like I just, I didn't want that for my son. I didn't want that for me. I didn't want that for the people in my life. And those just motivated me. And I think the, those things were more motivating than feeling like a victim. And then I think the biggest thing I would say is just taking responsibility for the situation. Of course, the market was bad. The market's been bad this year. If anybody says their business has been just like, Everything's been perfect. Maybe there is some areas, but I would say that everybody I talk to has, has felt some of that this year and in some capacity. So I, I think it's just taking responsibility. And I just took responsibility and said, all right, what do I need to do to be better um, at running a business, understand a business, 
and realize this is more than just being a plumber or an HVAC or electrician, right? It's this is really about being a entrepreneur, a leader, a manager, a marketing expert, a operations person, all these things. And I just got to work on that. So I think the point is of that is like I had to get a purpose. My purpose, my initial purpose was my son, myself, proving to myself, proving to my son that we could have a better life. And then the next thing was getting a goal. And you may have heard me say this, like, I, I don't know where it came from, but as I read Think and Grow Rich and I just started getting more curious and doing stuff, I put a number out there, $100 million. Like, at this point, I didn't even know $100 million existed, companies existed in home service. I wasn't like a member of Nexstar. I, I didn't have anything, right? I'm I'm pretty much, I'm broke. I'm just trying to get construction out. But I'm like, I need to be a service business and I need to grow it to a hundred million. And I know if I put that out there big enough, it would force me to grow into it, right? If I was serious, then I started telling people about it and saying out loud. So now it's like, now I'm even owning this even more. I already look like an idiot for saying it maybe to people, but I'll look like more of an idiot if I don't actually do anything to myself and to the people that I've said, I'm going to do this. And that's how I moved forward. So that answers your question. And I just have urgency underneath me too. I was just like, I can't live this way. I got it. I got to do something more. So is it safe to assume you said you live in, an, in a low income neighborhood? You you didn't come up with money. <clears throat> Lots of times I, I, I find that when people do come up that way, a lot of times, they, <clears throat> lots of times they stay there. What I, I guess I'm looking for, what, what is, what was it? You had a massive mindset shift. And so where, did you borrow some of those ideas from somebody like who did you look to at the time with I don't even know if anybody like you said was even doing that much money a year who did you look to who did you who helped inspire you during that time so i didn't know any companies right i had no but no relationship with anybody that had these giant companies or even knew i never i was never in service i wasn't in service ever until Really, I started this service because I was in construction, right? New construction and uh, like commercial business, right? That's what we did. So I didn't know. I, it's weird to say, I don't really know where to say. You could say somehow this number and this inspiration came from God, infinite intelligence, whatever you want to say. But I just knew I needed to do something different, right? I don't know how to explain it. I wish I could say it was this one thing or this one. I'm tired. This stuff. And I, there used to be a TV show I was watching, I think it was CNN or CNBC or something, whatever, one of the stations on there. They used to have a a guy did the big, called the show called The Big Idea a long time ago. Uh, I think it was Donnie Deutsch or something maybe did it. And I remember flipping through that show one time and really watch one network over another. I don't really even watch TV, but I remember flipping through and saw that show and was sitting there listening to it. And it was like, got to have this big idea for your business. You got to have this thing. And I think something there clicked with me too, just watching a couple of episodes of that show here or there and started saying, okay, what is a big idea for me in home, like for this service? What could I do? I think there's something there that may have been, gave me a little piece of we really want to go deep here. Uh, I don't think I've ever really hit that, but reflecting in the moment right now, and I think that made me start thinking, okay, what do I need to do differently? And that's where I went out and started trying to look for what's new in the space, what's innovative. And that's where I went out and found Green Plumbers out of Australia and got online and started reading about water conservation and energy and you know, uh, water sense and tankless more. I was doing tankless and new construction, but 
it wasn't a big thing. And so I went there and then I started digging and then I started thinking, well, what could I do to rebrand a business that would look into the future that if I went and lined it up and I looked at a Rotor Rooter or Mr. Rooter, nothing against those companies. I was just saying like, what if, if I was to look into 10 years, 20 years from now and I went online or I went somewhere, what what would make me stand out besides Jim's Plumbing, Mr. Rooter, Rotor Because that's all you ever saw is the people's name or some similar name iteration and then that and that's what came up with eco plumbers makes sense makes total sense so you learned a, a stuff from I, I forgot who you just said somebody in australia are you familiar with alan ferguson i would imagine you would be this episode of the successful life podcast is brought to you by house call pro whether you're looking to streamline your operations reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, Housecall Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. I don't know if I can tell you that name resonates with me directly, but maybe cross somewhere somehow. I just knew that I read online that the Australia was going through droughts and that one of the strategies they took was to create a better relationship with the plumbing contractors. And they created an organization called Green Plumbers and then started talking to the plumbing contractors about water conservation, water savings, water stuff. Right. And then I, that kind of, that inspired me to an area to start thinking, OK, well, here's a new category. Instead of just putting pipes in and fixing things like we could offer something that was innovative. Right. And. That's what we did. And that's where I started moving towards. It got me thinking. So I, I, when you say like, I don't know if I ever, people ask me like, well, who did you look up to as a, some iconic business person or something? No, I, I didn't because I, I didn't know any of those people. I didn't live in an area where people were talking about that shit, right? Like <laughs> I'm listening to like Biggie Smalls, Juicy, and Tupac. Like, that's my, <laughs> like, that's my inspiration, right? Like, right. I'm listening to that song. Like, those guys, like, rapping things and talking about stuff, right? That's where my level was at. But also, my mom was always, my mom worked multiple jobs. She worked hard. She she had a good spirit. Like, she wanted to do more. She just wasn't able to find her way there. And I think that did resonate across to me over time. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, 100%. So let's go back for a second. I know 2008 was a large por portion of why you uh, right, well, why you went bankrupt. But was there anything that you can pinpoint? Uh, you said you were new construction. So were you just, you had a lot of bids out that just didn't get paid? Or ha what happened? Like, what, what was the breaking point there? A couple of things. One is, well, one, we, we really didn't understand cash flow, right? So I understand a cash flow statement maybe, right? And and just financials in general, like we saw money come in, we bid the jobs. A lot of them were basically, hey, this is what we pay, especially when you're talking about production homes. Uh, Syntex homes, I don't know if you know what Syntex homes are, but they I think they end up being bought up by Pulte at some point later on. But Syntex homes was one of our biggest accounts and they basically said, hey, with the housing market and what's happening, we're not building anymore. We're not going to build any more houses. We're going to sell our land off and we're going to move on all right, from here. And, and then also at the same time, 
we were struggling. We had been transparent with them about, hey, we're not getting enough volume because volume's slowing down, right? And we're starting to run into some cash flow areas. And then basically they just ended up pulling the plug on us. And then they went out and then Dominion Homes was here, which was a contract of ours too. And they just said basically, hey, we don't have any more homes. So uh, at this point, there was nowhere to flex to, right? Because there was no new, there was not enough work to fill the voids of these construction jobs that were just housing jobs that's just going away. And we fought and tried. It wasn't like we were just like, well, all right, fold up. And we fought, we tried to figure out, we tried to get jobs, tried to move things around, had to let some people go, tried to do this, tried to do that. Oh, and uh, eventually, basically, we got forced into it. At one point, our vendors like Ferguson, we were you know buying from Ferguson, and Ferguson basically was like, "Hey, there's no choice here. We got to get it done. You got to go. You got to go because we need to clean this up and move on, right?" Too, and so that's what happened. So, what was so, that day like? And I'd say, and I'd say, I want to make sure I do this. Is like, I'm not blaming the economy. I'm blaming myself because we had so many eggs in one basket for a contract. Right, we depended on one one stream of construction work mostly, which was residential home was our main volume of work, and we didn't really we didn't own a business. We just didn't understand a business. We didn't understand uh, financials probably the real way. Right, we're a bunch of see, my buddy and I were just some kids that grew up you know doing plumbing and give us a little money, and we thought we knew what we were doing. Right, and uh, we didn't. We just weren't. We just didn't understand business. We didn't understand PNL. Didn't understand cash flow statements. We just didn't really understand. We knew enough to be dangerous to grow the business, and frankly, it probably is, is the best thing that probably ever happened. Tra- truthfully, it made me reset, re- reinvent myself, learn more, and get to work. Uh, so I, I, I take it as a blessing. I take it as an opportunity to say, the economy. There's lots of people that made it through the recession. Right. And a lot of people have made it through the recession. There's businesses that made it. There's people that made it. There's companies that made it. So, like, you can't just blame the recession here. Like, got to blame yourself because a lot of people that make it just like now. Right. Like, a lot of people are going to make it and a lot of people aren't going to make it. Right. So, you know, it depends on what we do, how we operate, what skills do you need to learn and do stuff. So, at the moment, I took full responsibility and said, this business failed not because Syntex did this or the recession happened, these things. Yeah, those are things that, may have been circumstances, but at the end of the day, the business failed because we didn't, we weren't smart enough of what to do, how to do, and didn't have the experience. And we need, I need to get out of that. So I hope that answers your question. Totally. So as it say, I could see real easily how someone could get caught. You like Syntex Homes, you get this agreement with them, things start going really well. And you think, this is it's never going to change. That's the thought pattern, right? We've got this account; it's oh, yeah. doing great. So, how? What was that day like when they said, "Like we're, we're pulling the plug on"? Because that was your largest account, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah. They brought us into their building, and we sat down and met with them, and they said, "Hey, this is what's happening. We're pulling the plug on some of the stuff. We're going to start doing this." At the same time, like we know that you guys are having some issues too, and, and we're going to move on too out of our out of, the, out of the market over here. And that was the conversation. It was pretty quick, right? Just like getting terminated. Yeah, right. The same thing. And uh, walking out of that building and walking in the lot and saying, "Shit, what are we going to do?" They're like, 
we're gonna you're gonna finish off what we have. We have houses where you have contracts under things that you're building. You have some in underground, some in rough, some in finished. Right, are happening. We're gonna do those, and they're basically saying we're not. They're not gonna move forward. They're gonna, you know, start clearing out some of the land and some stuff going on. And that was the conversation. Yeah. So, but cash flow stopped. So, if you had all this other work you had to finish up, you man, how'd you manage that? Right. Well, we were able to get. We tried to do the best we could. Eventually, it just fell off, right? Like we couldn't because we right. had to go into bankruptcy. So there was definitely houses that were in some cycle that didn't get done, right? Like there's nothing I can do. There's nothing we could do about it. No. So, but yeah, no, it was a, a rough day walking out of there and thinking, shit, here we are. Like, what are we going to do? Right? And thinking, okay, well, we still have this vendor and that one. And what are we going to do here? But this was the majority of our business. And uh, people have ever had that feel like I'd just be careful to count on that there's good vendors that last and build and do stuff i just would always be watching out how much you're depending on one source for your business in general right and people could say well today like you're depending on replacement business and service business yeah but i'm not depending on one person one business right multiple customers at multiple different stages that need things over time so it's not really one source right if we have a person that doesn't pay a ten thousand dollar job you know, it, it, we have multiple other jobs going on, right? Or a $400 ticket, right? Like we're, we're not getting caught up on uh, the fact that we have vendors that drag us out in 90, 120 days, or sometimes we had vendors that didn't end up paying all their bill and there's not much you could do, right? So just watching the idea of like how much you have all in one area, because that, that was the downfall. And that was a big downfall to us because again, that's not being smart enough. I grew up in a time in construction where it felt like they were going to build houses forever. Like houses were never going to stop. It was just, and especially in central Ohio, central Ohio was booming. It's just like neighborhoods and neighborhoods. So I didn't see anything different. Why would I ever think anything different? Because I I never lived through anything else. And I sure didn't study, you know, the economy by any means. Nothing <laughs> about the economy. <laughs> right. Well, and now you're in a I would argue that you diversified into a recession proof. Like you said, you're right. People don't have to build houses. They don't have to build houses. But I live in a house and my plumbing is going to break at some point and I'm going to have to call someone to fix it. Right. So it's sort of recession proof to a degree. You no, know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. I saw that. Like when I was sitting bankrupt, sleeping at my mom's house, I, I saw service trucks on the road going around right and started thinking well these guys doing service like what's going on there so i shared earlier trying to look for that next evolution of what how can i compete in that space without being the same into the future and uh yeah that was it it's like that's what i need to do i need to control my own destiny i need to have my own brand i need to be able to flex during times and in a recession yeah people are still going to need things done i would call it pretty recession proof maybe people aren't going to do replacement as much or bigger projects maybe they're lower average sale but you're still in a demand driven business that people are going to to need done right not want need right so i think when you think about businesses like what do people need versus want right because most of the time you're buying a new house not so much because you need it maybe you might because you've outgrown it with your family but most times because you want a new house you want something new right like you need your plumbing to work. You need your AC furnace to work. You need your electrical to work, right? And you're going to get those things to work. So I think sometimes we, the business that you're in decides whether it's a need or want business. 
Yeah, I agree with you. So what do you, just outside perspective here, a lot of companies depend on, especially HVAC companies, depend on selling a new system. Like their model, especially over the last three years, is replacement. Well, now people are not replacing as much as they're repairing. I don't know. And I don't know the the figures on that. I don't know what the ratio is, but I do know for sure repairs up. So how do you make that? And I, I don't know. It doesn't sound like that you depend on replacement. It seems like you're, you're a repair and replacement. So for a company out there that may be listening to this, that is used to selling just new systems. And that's how they've trained their people. And there's a lot of training out there that do just train to sell new systems. How how do you pivot from that? Obviously, you need to start repairing. But a lot of these guys think they they don't have the repair mindset because they've been trained so hard on how to just convert people to a new system. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'll speak with HVAC here the best I can. I'm, I'm a plumber. Right. So, but uh, we do have a large business and a large uh, HVAC line uh, these days. We've only really been in HVAC for two years, so don't have a ton of previous history on it. Seems like we pretty much started HVAC when replacement is not at its best. So, I will say, as a plumber, I was always joking with some of my HVAC buddies, like, all you're selling is boxes. This should be pretty easy. But at the same time, like, it's not. And I actually think I'm in the in hindsight, starting HVAC in a time where this is not as easy to sell replacement per se or only focus on replacement will probably make us better because now we understand how to operate and we're not just living off that. Uh, I think it's again just going down and start saying, okay, what are the other options that people will do that want in their home versus need, right? It's like and or maybe there is still wants. They just don't want to spend all the money on a whole brand new system. So I, there's always air quality and maybe there's an opportunity to reline the duct systems, right? There's things that you can offer and do that still add value and sale to the customer. So I think it's just finding out which ones of those are you not offering and can stack those in on your maintenance calls right now or your demand calls that are not only all about replacement of a system. And if you could do that, I think you'll weather the storm and the replacement will find itself back because we all know there's, you know, probably a lot of systems got pulled ahead during COVID. And then on top of that, now we have just recessional things that are out there, people being a consumer buying, not the best it could be, even though there's been some decent information recently that says that maybe we're okay and a little level, but I think we live on the ground of it. So we feel and know because we're actually in the houses. So I think home service does have a really close relationship to what's happening faster than uh, some of the areas of the market. But I, I think it's just finding those value propositions and adding in service. I don't say when I say service lines, maybe offerings that you just have not been doing that aren't reinventing your whole entire business. It's not like all of a sudden I'm going to go off and sell some other trade line out of nowhere that is not within the same service line, right? So if you're not doing that, I would find ways to do that. And those are things that we're, we've been looking at and are, have been implementing more. Even you know, we don't really do duck cleaning, right? Like now duck cleaning, just ways to create revenue streams that can help people to add value to our technicians and customers that are not all about just buy a brand new system for 
twelve to eighteen thousand dollars, right? Because there is a lot of dependence on that. The language has always been: if you don't sell replacements, you don't own a HVAC business, right? Right. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, how hard was it for you, as a plumber, switching over or opening up the HVAC side of the business? How much of a struggle has that has that been? I think and the idea is like we're fortunate. We have a very big customer base. We have some resources. We've grown a very large plumbing business that have resources. So you know, I want to make sure I have that you know baseline too, right? So we we're able to weather some of the financial part of it by doing that because we have those resources. We have a big sewer line business too, right? Sewer digging excavation business. So those things have helped us. And we have customers that we could lean that were already repeat customers and base. So, but that being said, it's still just not easy. I would, for years, I didn't want to start anything because I always wanted the idea of like, you got to earn the right to start another trade. I, what I've seen in my years at, at Nextar and around is people start adding all three trades before they've even got one trade figured out or even have enough market share to earn and add another trade. They just think, oh, if I add another trade, we'll make more money. It's like, well, each trade adds another level of complexity distraction. And every time you add a new trade, everybody in your team starts looking at that trade more than the other one, right? It's just natural. So I, I would say, make sure that you feel that you have the trade that you are doing figured out really well. You understand the market penetration you have. Like, do you own 5, 10, 15% of your market already in the trade you're doing already? And if you don't, I would recommend that you probably focus on doing that trade um, first. And that was been my, that was my initial approach. I was like, let's get our plumbing trade. Let's own it. Let's focus there and own as much of the market. That being said, after that, we decided to do horizontal and vertical growth all at one time. So <laughs> that made, made everything complicated for sure. So adding the age back in hasn't been, it, it, we, we're a demand plumbing driven business. So, and we realized that we tried to run HVAC like a, pl a plumbing de demand business, and it's not, right? We needed to get memberships. We weren't really a membership-driven business, so we had to get memberships figured out, understand how to sell memberships. Maybe people call it tune-ups. We call it clean and check, right? Understand a clean and check, uh, setting up those maintenance calls, uh, understanding that the labor burdens for service tech and maintenance are significantly higher. Again, this whole thing, right? If you don't sell any replacement, you're going around on members. And really shifting that to the idea of like, how does our HVAC business operate while adapting some of our successes in plumbing, but it does not run the exact same way as a demand plumbing business. So I think that was the biggest hurdle for us. We wanted to treat HVAC like a demand plumbing business. Even when people call in and say, something's up with my AC, we would you know send like a demand guy over it and then have them try to basically be the surface tech sell and do it all and didn't really like comfort advisor situation right like so there's this opportunity there and uh, just learning that business line have some friends that I was able to lean on and learn going into it so that also helped but uh, it's been a lesson learned man it's been been interesting but it's exciting and the, I think between our organic growth and the acquisition we're still end up two years later doing around that's it and about 14, 15 million in two years in HVAC. So it's when I say that in a way, like we stumbled forward pretty ugly, 
but it's still a lot of people would be very happy to have that number as their HVAC business. And we are too, but. So I think the biggest thing I think I heard you say, there's really, you got a customer base that trusts you. And it's probably, obviously, it's a easier transition if you're going to add a trade on, if you've got a good customer base, because they're likely going to continue doing business with you in that second trade. Yeah, I, I think that's the time, like making sure that you have a strong enough base to support that trade line, because if you're doing plumbing first and then you want to go to HVAC, I think the idea is like, you got to realize that you do have to have a, have a big enough base because the demand for HVAC is not as high demand volume as it is for plumbing, right? Plumbing demand is happening all the time. So just making sure in that spot, electrical is picking up. So we have electrical now too. But yeah, that was definitely a big part for us. And then just knowing when and make sure you have the right resources to do it. Everybody's in different areas. I don't know the size of your market, how many people are available. Like all these things may play into it, but make sure you really feel like you got the trade that you're doing in a good spot. Because it's going to take a lot of your time and energy to start another trade. Yeah. So how did you transition, not transition, but how did you start to build the HVAC side from the plumbing base? Like, in other words, when you're when one of your service techs would go out, would they mention, oh, by the way, we do HVAC also now? Or how did you transition those conversations? Yeah, we have- we wanted our plumbers to let the customers know, offered the membership. We did email campaigns. We did a complete rebrand of the business, right? As the next year, like we rebranded the business, not when I say rebrand, still eco, but did a new logo, new design, brought all three trades in under the name, um, created some new marketing material. So like that's still going on. We're only a year. Well, basically we're a year. We're a year into the new rebrand, right? So and then just calling the base. And then when people are booking plumbing calls, we offer to book an HVAC call at the same time, right? right on the inbound calls, right? And then calling the base up that we had already. We had members, but we didn't have members like HVAC volume of members, right? Calling them up and saying, hey, we added this to your membership at no additional cost. Well, you want us to send out our people. So all the people are already members, we didn't say, Hey, we're going to charge you more now to have our HVAC because like we're going to actually not bring up our price for them and have them call. Basically, they're under a legacy contract, right? Because they wanted them to help us build our HVAC business. Instead of calling back, say, hey, we got HVAC now. Do you want the new membership? And it's going to cost you another $30 or something a month or whatever people come up with on these things. Just call them and say, hey, we are, we're offering this service now to you at no additional charge. Would you like it? And if you don't have an HVAC provider... Let us be it. And if you do, maybe give us a shot. And that's where we went. That's the smartest thing you could have done, dude. That that makes complete sense. Why to add that membership on, to add, add the HVAC side on to the existing, not charge more money, because most people don't do it that way. Most people think, well, I have started the HVAC side, so now I need to double my price or I need to charge maybe it's 30 bucks a month more, whatever the number is. But that really does start you off on the wrong foot. Um, the way you did it was, it's. It, it, there's no reason for anybody to say, no thanks, right? Yeah, well, that's what we saw. It's like, well, I think the idea of giving more value versus calling to sell, right? So if you call them up your member up now and say, hey, we had an HVAC 
would you like for us to do it? But it's going to cost you thirty more dollars a month or something, right? I'm just using random numbers. Yeah, maybe ten dollars, whatever it is. Like, so now you're asking them to pay more and for a service that they weren't even looking for, right? <laughs> right? So it's like add the value over time. If you need to raise membership prices, you have the right to do that over time. But I wouldn't come in that way. I would definitely come in the way we did, and and it worked. It's been working for us. And my guess is when you made when those when your whoever was making those calls, lots of times or or a good portion of those times, they said, well, actually, I'm glad you called. I am having this plumbing problem and I do need you to come out. Right. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's calls that were both like that for sure. I think people don't mind. We, to be frank, we don't mind our, I don't know if the right word to use is mind our base, our customer base as much as we should. But I, if I think about, a very big opportunity for everyone in 2024, regardless of society, or 20, yeah, 2024, is you need to be hitting your your pace harder than ever, right? Like that's, this is like the time. If you're not yeah. doing things to call your base up, talk to them, check in with them, find out what, how you can help them, uh, creating offers that are um, meaningful to your customer base and re-engaging with the people that have already done service with you, you're going to, you're gonna you're gonna feel the pain pretty bad. But it's not always a sales. It's not always a sale email or a text. It's it, right, and I don't know if that's how you do it. My guess is that you would. Sometimes people don't people don't like to be sold to, right? People like to buy, but they don't like to be sold to. And so when you can add value to a great example, like right? you you send a message out warning people about Brown Friday, right? That's a pretty common thing. Uh, most people, at least in the industry, for sure know what Brown Friday is. But that's a value add of letting the customer know this could be a possibility. This could be something that's coming up that maybe they didn't know. You're not selling them anything. You're just saying, hey, I want to let you know what's going on. I want to let you know this could be a possibility. Yeah, I, I think you, you know, opportunity for us is, you know, our social media area still, we do social media stuff, but uh, educational selling, I guess we could call it, but I, yeah, some people just want to be educated, like teach them something. That's the first part I think of selling, right, is to show up and educate your customer on it. And then hopefully they say, yeah, you know what, you educated me really well. And I also think I trust you to be the person to do it. So I think taking that time to do that and while also creating compelling offers that people want to buy from at the same time. So if you can maximize those together, you've got a, got a pretty good winning formula. Um, I wouldn't say we've got it figured out because we still got a lot of opportunity, but those are the things that we are looking at and keep trying to tweak and improve. And if somebody can pick one of those up and say, I'm going to become the local expert in my trade line, and I'm going to put out content to my customer base and to the people around in the market and show them that I'm educating them, then you'll you should win your area. You should, as long as you're giving content that's valuable and not being fearful. What I've seen too is we've done this before too. I've had my plumbers do this to me before, and we've heard this language. I've heard it from other people. It's like, well, if I tell people how to do it all, then how am I going to make any money? It's like, well, okay, well, just because you tell people how to do something doesn't mean they still don't want to hire somebody to do it. That's right. Like that happens all the time in every walk of life, right? Like a lot of things that you could tell people how to do that do not want to do it, right? So that fear is just 
something you got to put off the side. And if, if you do teach somebody it and they end up doing it themselves, then okay. But that's just maybe what happened. But not teaching people and not putting content out or not doing things that educate people is worse plan than that because you're fearful of giving away the information because you don't think you're going to make money. Like that model doesn't work in my in my personal opinion, right? Again, this is all personal opinion and personal experience. I don't, I don't want to speak for other people, but I think you need to do that. So to your point, there's like great content, share things. When you go to the house, don't be scared to tell people how to fix things so they understand because they also prove that you're an expert. And then from there, they'll buy from you. Right. We still yeah, buy stuff. I, I buy stuff still. I, I read books on stuff. Like there's a lot of knowledge I know. And then I'm like, I'm going to buy this seminar. I'm going to go to this seminar, right? I'm still paying to go to seminars for things sometimes, right? I'm going to go pay to talk to people. Like we all, we're all still doing it. And there's, there's a lot of knowledge free online. I know many people. Pretty much everything you need is all right here on your phone these days anyways, but you still pay for stuff, right? Yeah, 100%. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You can tell people how to do stuff all day long. That doesn't mean they're going to do it or know how to do it or that they feel like doing it, right? But I yeah. no, I totally agree with you. So how are you guys? Have you, AI is a big conversation. I've got a, uh, my second business is an AI company. What are you guys doing with AI right now? Are you doing, what are you finding that, has been beneficial or you find anything? I mean, AI has really got real hot recently, right? Like probably in the last six months more than ever. feels like everybody's talking about AI. Yeah, we use ChatGTP for stuff. We have been for a while. We use it to, I use it to, to for certain things. Bounce off, you send type stuff in, get information back. So if you're just talking about that type of, Maybe I'll call that entry level AI at this point, right? But still, people aren't using it. Like, great yeah. tool, great resource. You can put any, pretty much anything in it. You can put sheet. You can put your PL, download it. It'll literally write a story for you. If you don't know how to tell right. a story about your numbers, ChatGTP will tell you how to tell your team a story about your numbers. Like it's, uh, if you're not a good communicator or not able to say, how do I articulate this? Take it, download it into it. It'll literally say, this is what it is with, within content of what, how much other information you get it. So I think in those areas, great opportunity. Um, we use Rilla Voice. Um, oh, do you? AI in the field. Yeah. So we've been on Rilla Voice for a while. We have the Rilla Voice in home, like basically records the call and then translates so, it out for you so you can understand so who do you have coaching on that like i like i, I know sebastian i know that process but i also know yeah. that it's kind of like service titan or whoever you probably are on service titan whoever they record the csr calls but guess what very rarely do people go back and listen to them which i think's crazy i understand it's time consuming 100 percent but somebody's got to go back and listen to those technician calls. Do you have somebody specifically that does that or how do you do that? Yeah. So we had our sales manager doing it when we went out the gate with it, right? The salesman, I looked at him. I would listen to him too, just because I was curious about it. So sales manager, you have to have somebody committed to it. I would say we use it, got hot, like most things, then it kind of lost traction and now we're rebuilding traction, right? To be honest, like it's those things like, Everybody wants it. It's all exciting. 
everybody's all in on it and then it starts to lose some of it. And it's not because the product doesn't work because the product is great. It tells you everything you need to know. Shit, we learned a lot of things about people who were saying in the house, not saying, doing. You can put scripts in there. They brought up finance. They didn't bring up finance. Like there's a lot of opportunity in there. It's just people having the discipline to stay with stuff, right? Especially in the world where it's just right now, it just feels like everybody's getting hit with so many new products, so many new offerings, and then trying to implement too many things all at one time, which we've been, which we've done, right? At times, right? Because there's so much new stuff. And so you want to beta test things. So I think it's good to, debate is this it maybe i don't go there let me try this product let me try that let me see if ai works for me here and not here like you just got to find which one it is for you and two point like service time yeah we've been on service time i think almost 10 years now nine ten years so we've been on very beginning uh, r was my sales rep so and uh, same thing there right is integrating that software and like we had to build in a process that you listen to the calls so all of it just coming down to discipline getting the right people, getting engagement, and realizing what AI tools do you want. And if you're not really ready for AI, uh, don't chase it, I would say, too. Be careful that you're not just chasing it and distracting you from the fundamentals of your business. But I also think be careful that you're not paying attention to it because it's going to change a lot of our culture, which it already has. It's going to change a lot of our industry and many industries. So you, you should be informed and you should know what's going on. But it's also not going to change the fact that people are going to have to show up and do the work in the house, right? So realize that train the people how to do the work, those tools, those resources, find how do you use AI resources to help support people first, maybe, and then think about maybe as you move along how AI may replace certain parts of workforce that can be supported in the right way. And I'm never an advocate for saying have to replace people, but you also better be aware because if you're growing a business and, and you're not and a people are able to have ai in places uh, to support or replace and uh, brings down their operating ability they're going to be able to move faster than you and you're going to struggle to compete yeah 100 percent. i don't know if that answers your question there but yeah totally it totally does we are doing or there's other things that we are doing i'm just with ai right now We've been using AI and we use smart, we use this, like the AI style. Smart AC. Dispatch okay. Pro. We've been, we were, it used to be Smart Dispatch. We've been on that probably for, since their betas for about maybe three and a half years. We've been doing that behind the scenes with Service Titan as they're developing that and doing that. So we, we've had pretty good insight on that, which was able to redu reduce workforce for dispatchers. And we are, we do have Smart AC too. We're, we're starting to, well, we're partnered with Smart AC mid last, mid early this year, maybe. And yeah. uh, it's starting to get that structure in place. And I, I don't know if I call that AI, but there's again, home monitoring and areas to have more resources, re reduce truck rolls, et cetera. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah, dude, I think it makes complete sense. So uh, you, you're working on, you're working on a book right now, right? I am. I've, you know, I've had some buddies that have wrote some really great books. I think, you had, I think you said you had Chad. Chad was on here the other day. Chad had a, is on his second book. Uh, seen him, Tommy. Um, two books. Got a, I got a little section in his last book, which was great to be recognized by him. Great guy. 
um, great friends, right? Uh, so, in just the industry across, just to share a story. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to share our story, my story, um, hopefully educate people about the process I went through um, to get to where we're going. And uh, hope to have that out by the beginning of 2025 as we hopefully finish out my decade goal that I set out for myself a decade ago. I wrote down. Um, actually on paper, even before then, I told you guys my number, my big number was to get to 100 million. So 2025 was the deadline I wrote down 10 years ago and said, I need to do this by 2025. And I didn't know anything about acquisitions and stuff. We might get there between before that with that type of stuff, but we're fortunate enough to do that. But uh, yeah, I want to just share the story, share my stuff and experiences and hopefully uh, give people some level of a playbook and inspiration that you can overcome anything in the trades or anywhere and make a better life for yourself and the people that work for you. Yeah, dude, you started out in definitely in a negative place for sure. Like that's pretty impressive that you've been able to do to to pull yourself out of that mess that you were in. And I agree with you. You mentioned this earlier. You said, I think that made me, you said, I'm grateful for it. And I think it's probably helped me to be successful today. And I, I agree with that. I don't think if I had, I don't think if I hadn't gone through some of the harder times that I've gone through in my life with getting sober or losing businesses and all those things made me a better person for sure. Yeah, I, I think overcoming diversity uh, challenges or whatever you want to use is important in the growth of people. Men, women, all walks of life. Like they're, they're important to our personal growth. Life is a journey of, of growing and learning and reinventing ourselves, right? Like if you want to. Without those we, childhood struggles, all these things, like, then you don't know how to overcome things. Like if you don't know how to overcome things, like life's a big problem. It always is. Like it always will be. It's never going away. And it's always just a big problem out in front of you. And if you look at all those problems as opportunities, then things get different, right? And I think as you look at it, the people, as I think about it, as I move along my journey in life and things I've read and done, it's like most successful people are getting paid the most because they're the best at solving the biggest problems, right? And that's what it, that's what it's about. Even in home service, like how can you solve your customers' problems better, faster than anybody else? Like that's, and you'll grow because of that. And same thing, overcoming your own personal challenges. If you're able to overcome those faster, better, have insight and do those, that you'll grow as a person. So all of those opportunities, and they're never going to go away. Right? There's always going to be things that you need to get better at, especially if you want to grow your business, uh, grow your uh, bandwidth, whatever it may be. Yeah, I agree. I do have one more, one more last question. It may not be the last question, but it, it, I do have one more question I meant to ask you earlier. So do you... So do you, because, and I don't know if, if you do this or not, but do you, you all use Zoom to close, like in your HVAC side or the plumbing side, like a lot of people, Chad is a great example. He's moved to most of his salespeople are, I don't, I don't know, he didn't call it call by call now, but call it something else, but you get what I'm asking. Do you all use that? So... Yeah, we, we were calling them success coaches is what our language was too, but it's basically the call by call, right? It's like call by call was the hot thing. Now it's AI, right? So it's all, all kind of 
chasing these fundamental these things. So yeah, we do some call by call. We've been doing in plumbing for a while with our plumbing department. We are not doing virtual close like via Zoom. As Chad is, I know Chad's doing it. We learned some of it from Ken Goodrich was doing a lot of it over at Gettle. So went out and visited him before to side of that. Joe Casare teaches some of those things, right? Too. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there again to depending which where do you want to go, what kind of what how do you want to operate the business? And from a speed aspect, again, speed is important. And if you can figure out a way to do that and get better at it, yeah, I would say we're not good at it. Yeah the way we should be. So we got a lot of opportunity to learn how to use that, you know, that, that virtual closing as an opportunity for us to get better. Right now, we're still sending comfort advisors out for the most part. Yes, we still have some inside sales, people that help support close, do stuff, but we, we're trying to balance the idea about using technology in areas while also still creating real life experiences. And uh, I don't I don't know if we I can't tell you that we have that figured out at the moment. But sure. you know, we'll we'll keep moving forward. As like I said, a big problem. Problems are there. It's like trying to balance those two areas and realizing the audience too, I think is important. As you think about like I don't know how deep people get into marketing and demographics and how who their customer is and how to relate to that. Like for us, we're really thinking about where does this technology really lay to be advanced in areas and then where are the customers that we need to come to them not always make them come to us like type of thing so sure. i think that's important to understand yeah yeah i agree i just i understand it from an for the how the, the whatever you want to call it the virtual selling would work with hvac it seems pretty like that makes sense to me but with plumbing i i don't know that i can wrap my head around because it's just a different, it's just a little bit different product, right? You're not necessarily offering a bunch of new systems. I guess you're offering, sometimes you are, but plumbing's just different, right? So I would imagine it would be a little bit more of a challenge in that, in plumbing than it would be HVAC. Yeah, from what I gather, again, uh, we're not doing HVAC, we've been doing plumbing. I guess when we use call by call and plumbing, just guys are out there like, hey, how can you make sure I'm writing these options up first? Right, right. Kind of like a service manager. Hey, Mrs. Jones is here. She has some questions. Can you help me answer them more? Hey, Miss Jones thinks Mr. Mrs. Jones might not be thinking the prices wherever. Right. So let me get on there. The the guy gets on the call and talks with the customer, try to understand where they are. Right. Maybe there's a bigger plumbing project that may need some support for financing. Yeah, the HVAC I can understand more if we dial in because once we get to this point, there's equipment. It's financing. Most of the stuff is. Hey, I know the product. I know what it is. I can understand what you're selling me, right? There's a lot of parts and pieces. So, but again, they all can come together and do that if you can just find the right way to do it. But I would say that from what I've gathered and heard, again, I'm not doing it there, that the HVAC virtual sale strategy seems to be the most productive and the one that can actually is more scalable than I've and I've heard from plumbing and electrical from other places. That's what I would think. Yeah, that's definitely what I would think um, for sure. So, well, look, dude, this has been a great conversation. I think we went all over the place and talked about a lot of different things. And Aaron, I, I, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today to tell the audience about your story. And they may or may not have heard of you, but now 
they obviously will have heard of you. And I really appreciate the time that we've spent today. I really do. Where, if people want to find you, where's the best way to do that? Aaron at ecoplumbers.com. And if people email me from there, I'll get back to you. Send me an email. I'll get back to you. If there's something I can't get back to, I usually send it over to somebody on our team that can help answer some questions. Um, people looking for stuff for plumbing. Maybe we're, we're going to be doing some on-site visits, setting up some counter times. People want to come out and see the shop. Uh, we got a couple of uh, times set up in 2024. So people want to come out, visit, you know, see what we do, see our school. I think big thing people want to always come see is uh, our plumbing school, which we're also building HVAC out and electrical in. We graduated like 120 plumbers now, I think, through our, our school program. So you know, those opportunities are there. So just Aaron at ecoplumbers.com. Easy. I do have another one that is our new domain, but that's the easiest one for people to remember because most people know us from the Eco Plumber name. Yeah. That makes but sense. thanks for having me, man. It was great. It was it's good to get in some operational talk. So I enjoyed that. Hopefully people picked up some things that they're doing or supporting what they're doing or maybe some new thoughts. So appreciate the, give me a time to get on here and share. Like one of my goals is just to get out in the industry and share my experience. The trade saved my life. They really did. It gave me an opportunity, gave me a place. And I hope other people inspire to make the trades great, keep them going. And you know, build build great businesses or become better at just your niche of what you do. If you're a technician, do that, right? Be really great at that. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to, to hopefully inspire somebody today. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.